0: Again, happy Father's Day if you're a dad. uh, We are really thankful that you're spending Father's Day uh, with us at at Bayou City. So uh, welcome to you this morning. Um, I'm a dad of five, sometimes feels like 15, you know, but I got five kids in my house, and and I brought a picture because that's what dads do. All right, so this is my crew, Uh, Brian in the middle who just graduated, and so uh, we're kicking him out of the house, and uh, uh, he's going to play soccer at Mary Harden Baylor, so we're really proud of him. And uh, uh, Ethan and Eliana and Ezra and Kay. And uh, so it's uh, a joy to be their dad. And so each year, this is kind of becoming a little tradition. We we have these amazing forms that we hand to your kids. All right. So when they go to their class, whether they're you know this high or this high, most of them today are filling out this form about you, dad. All right. And as you can imagine, there's some good material right here. <laughs> All right, so here's just some examples so you know what you're going to be going home with. Uh, let me read a few of these, and what the, what, what, how this works is, you know, there's some questions. So uh, uh, dad's favorite color is, and uh, here's a picture of him, some great pictures of you dads, by the way. And so let me just give you some examples here. This one uh, from Caden says, I love my dad because he has a blue shirt. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know if that's, that's some kind of shirt right there. Uh, my dad's favorite food is uh, grass. So don't really know what that's about exactly. So I'm going to take you. <laughs> I love that. Um, my favorite memory with my dad is him rocking me when I was first born. That's a, that's a good memory right there. <laughs> I love this one too. Uh, my dad likes to wear, so that you know, like, what does what he, he like to, to, to wear? Uh, he doesn't care. That's what it says, all right? <laughs> we don't care. Dads don't care about that stuff. At least this kid's dad doesn't, all right? Uh, his favorite food, talking about dad, his favorite food is whatever my mom makes. I mean, how true <laughs> is that right there? Just, hey, whatever mom I do love this one. My dad is the best in the family at, you know, and then you fill in the like, blank, at making bread. I, I don't know. There's apparently, there's some stiff competition at the bread. Uh, at his job, my dad works so we can go on vacation. I mean, that's, that's how he sees it. I love that. All right, this, this sweet girl, I got a few more. This sweet girl says, his favorite food is all of his dinner. I love that. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so this is the last one, and this is really great. Uh, at his job, my dad tries to see the number with one eye. I don't know what that means exactly, but <laughs> I still—I've spent the last hour like going, "What? What? What job is that?" I'm not. I'm not positive. Uh, If you were with us a year ago, a lot of you weren't. We had a lot of new faces since last year, but uh, I shared about my father. So uh, Ed C. was born in uh, Tokyo, Tokyo General Hospital. His dad had just uh, been uh, stationed there as the U.S. was preparing for the Korean War. And so uh, his mom was also a nurse in the Army. So instead of coming stateside, uh, her stateside was in Tokyo. And so uh, the last few months of her pregnancy, she was in Tokyo. And then Tokyo General Hospital, May thirty-first, uh, 1950 is when my dad was born. His father then, about three weeks later, uh, went into the very first battle of the Korean War. And if you studied the Korean War, this was a terrible battle. Uh, we got blindsided uh, from both sides. And uh, so my grandfather, Grandpa Earl, was killed in the first battle. So dad was three weeks old. And uh, and so uh, my grandpa Earl, uh, my middle name is is uh, Earl after Grandpa Earl. So I'm I'm Robert Earl. So I'm destined to write some serious country songs. I mean, <laughs> I'm a uh, I got I got to figure that out. Uh, so Grandpa Earl uh, died when my dad was three weeks old. Uh, his mom uh, it was obviously uh, traumatic. She was left to still be a nurse in the Korean War, which she did for a little while. She came back to the States, and uh, we had addiction in our family, and the addiction caught, caught up with her, and uh, and she died when Dad was just a couple of years old. So Dad was kind of left, um, you know, basically an orphan, although a grandmother uh, stepped in who, who followed Jesus and loved Jesus and really cared for my dad and raised him. And uh, so I say all that to say um, what society will tell you is broken and will be a perpetual cycle, whether it be addiction or loss or brokenness in your family. I mean, society will tend to just say that, hey, that's, that's going to, that's going to be for generations and generations and generations. And, uh, when we walk with the Lord, uh, God says, no, that doesn't have to be that way. So dad has five kids of his own. He has 21 grandkids, all right? So he's, he's got a big old family. And so I reach out to dad because he has a perspective that I didn't have. I grew up with a dad. A lot of you did. A lot of you grew up with a great dad in your home. A lot of you didn't. A lot of you have the perspective of my father who, you know, his dad wasn't around. And he didn't have a father figure in his life. And so a lot of you go, man, I, I really relate to how your dad was brought up. So I reached out to dad and just said, uh, you know, where's my phone? Hey, will somebody grab my phone? Hey, Wayne, my phone is sitting on the table back there. I wrote my, yeah, somebody grab that. I think it's on the table. So I reached out to dad, uh, and he texted it to me this morning, so I gotta grab my phone. But uh, I reached out to dad to say, hey, give, give us some advice. So there was two, two bits of advice that I asked dad for on behalf of you guys and, and myself. One is for new dads, all right, so if you're a new father, how many of you, you have a, a, a baby or a toddler? So you're, you're a pretty new dad, like my friend Tim back here, Colin, we got a lot of uh, a new dads. So the first bit of advice is for uh, new dads. And the second bit of advice that I asked my father for is, hey, give some counsel to folks who didn't grow up with a dad. So uh, walk us through... Um, what God did in your life and maybe maybe give us some wisdom there. So here's what he said. First of all, uh, to the new dads, love the Lord above all else. Seek to model godly character and integrity and love their mother well. Don't let work keep you from giving your children the time that they need. And that's a tough one for me, tough one for you, I bet. All right. Never let pride keep you from saying, "I was wrong. I'm sorry." And so for those of you who maybe uh, have not grown up with a great father figure in your house, just didn't really go like you had hoped, much like my father, here's what he would say uh, to you. Remember the things you missed by not having a father, and do your best to meet those needs in your own kids. You will try and fail, but do your best. Seek out an older man who has been a great father, and ask him to be your mentor, Ask the Lord for wisdom. And so I'll just, uh, we'll wrap up a Father's Day introduction of this message and just say, I want it to be, I know Curtis does as well, our staff, wants this church to be a place where younger men are reaching out to older men. And older men are saying to younger men, hey, I haven't done everything right, but let me just share some wisdom with you. And one of the beauties about this church is that we're not all the same age. And so let that be something we celebrate often. We have 65. We have 75. I think our friend Mary, uh, I don't know for sure, uh, Krista, but she's, she's turned, I think she's turning 88 or 89. 89, all right? So Miss Mary's 89. We got people who are 89 uh, all the way down to teens and, and uh, young professionals. It's one of the things we want to celebrate here. The reason that we want to celebrate that is so you older men can say, hey, didn't get it right. Done some things that were great, done some things that weren't great. But let me just share some wisdom for you. May that be a, a core value of Bayou City Fellowship. Grab your Bible, Daniel chapter 3. If you're a guest with us, we've been in a series in Daniel. It's a six... Uh, six-week series, the first part of Daniel, you get some of the greatest stories in Scripture. Um, second part of Daniel, you get a, a, a really intense um, education on prophecy. I mean, it, it, Daniel, the, the last half of Daniel gets gets really intense. So we're going to highlight some things in Daniel uh, over the next, six, uh, next three weeks. This is uh, the third week. And so uh, Daniel chapter 3, let me just give us a little bit of background, and then I got some friends who are going to come help me Uh, Read this passage out loud. Uh, This is 6th century uh, Babylon. So 500 years before Christ, 500 years or so before Christ, uh, Babylon was the world's uh, preeminent power. I mean, this was a global force. So if we have what we'll call superpowers today, uh, the U.S. being one of our world's superpowers, Babylon was the superpower in that day. And the way that they became such a strong superpower is that they slowly and methodically invaded other lands. I mean, that's uh, they they took it by force. Babylon was uh, multicultural, it was multi ethnic, and it had many different religions represented, and because they would go in and conquer a land, and what they would do, and, and this is this is uh, relevant to the passage today. What that would would do is take stock and see who is educated and who might be valuable back in Babylon. Does that makes sense. So when they invaded Israel, they saw folks like Daniel and said, "We think you're valuable to us. You will come with us." And so they were hoping to create this this kind of uh, euphoric society uh, where they had highly educated, highly skilled individuals, and uh, then generation after generation would, would slowly um, heed to the doctrine uh, of Babylon. So that's our context. Daniel is writing from that context. He is now in Babylon. He has gained favor with the king. If you were with us last week or you know chapter two at all, he interprets the king's dreams. The king rep- uh, recognizes something special in him and uh, elevates his status uh, in the empire. And this is important for us today, too. At the end of chapter 2, Daniel, being a good friend, basically says, hey, I've got these three young, uh, three young friends, these three uh, young Jewish men. Is there any way I could get them a job? All right, so some of you may do this at your work. Hey, I'd like to get a friend a job. And the king uh, says, sure. So if Daniel is is kind of like a governor, uh, let's just say, that, uh, just for the sake of, of comparison. He gets these friends a job uh, as like a mayor, all right? So Daniel's kind of a governor, and these these friends of his, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they become kind of mayor status. Everybody with me? All right, so that gets us to chapter three, and instead of you hearing my voice read a long passage, Uh, I've got two friends that are going to come help me, so Allie and Nate are going to come help uh, read the passage. Uh, I thought about just doing a few verses, honestly, but I think there's something valuable when we read the scriptures out loud together, and I don't want that to get boring, so these guys are definitely uh, more energetic and entertaining than me. So they're going to read chapter 3, and then we're going to come back and dive into it. This is the reading of the Lord.
1: King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up.
2: Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp,
1: Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar,
2: He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of his mighty men to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace was overheated, the flame of the fire killed the men who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace.
1: Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men The governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them.
2: Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted him and set aside the king's command and yielded their bodies
0: Hey, say thanks to Nate and Allie for reading for us. Thanks, y'all. I want to spend about five or six minutes just summarizing. I'm not going to read all that again. These guys did an awesome job. Uh, But there's some key elements I want you to just make note of, and then we're going to talk about how does this story that you and I have probably heard a thousand times What does that have to do with us? And I think there's some things hidden in here, uh, maybe not hidden, but at least hidden from me, uh, that this week I just felt like God was sharing for us, okay? So I want to break this down into six uh, sections. So it's not really six points, but six different pieces of Scripture. I don't know if you write in your Bible, but if you do, feel free to grab a pen and jot some of these down. Uh, The first thing that we see in Daniel chapter 3 is the statue. So we're just going to call this section, verse 1 through 7, is the, the statue. And so uh, this thing was 90 feet high or so, so about nine stories tall. It was made of gold believed to be not solid gold, but at least plated in gold. Just talked to a friend this morning that said, you know, very likely that the furnace that these guys are thrown into was the furnace that probably refined some of the gold for the statue. We don't know that. That's speculation, but it's an interesting thought. And so the statue is what we're seeing in verse one through seven. In verse two, he not only erects this statue, but then he he throws a party. He throws a ceremony. I mean, so he's dedicating this thing and everybody's got to come. And so we see that in verse two, King Neb, I'm just going to call him King Neb because I'm going to say his name like a hundred times. All right. So we're abbreviating today. So King Neb uh, in verse two, and then in in verse five, he just says, here's the deal. When you hear the band, uh, get on your knees. All right, And I love that he didn't just say band. He, he didn't want to leave anybody out. So he just goes down the list. He names every instrument and he does it several times. Uh, and I'm thinking, what is a trigon? What, we got to get that in the band. Let's work on that. Ryan, I don't know what a trigon does, but that sounds cool. Uh, and so in verse 7, the trigon and everything else cranks up and people fall to their knees as was the instruction of uh, King Neb. All right, so first uh, section is the statue. That's verse 1 through 7. The second, uh, if you're jotting this down, maybe in the little uh, side uh, side note there, uh, 8 through 12 is, I'm going to call it the snitch. All right, these guys get ratted out. And so uh, this section, verse 8 through 12, this is the snitch. And so when the scripture tells us uh, in verse 8 that these... Certain Chaldeans come forward. Well, who were the Chaldeans? Well, uh, these guys were highly educated. They were very influential. Uh, Usually they worked in areas of astronomy or if uh, their religion was tied to their astronomy, they were astrologers. So uh, they studied the stars and many of them, their worship was based uh, around the stars. But they're highly influential. Again, this was a society that was uh, trying to achieve this euphoric um, uh, kind of land. And so these kind of guys were elevated high. So they had influence with the king. And so in verse 8, it just says certain Chaldeans, these guys get together and they say, hey, we found out about these three young Jewish men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're not bowing down. Let's tell the king about it and let's see what, what he's going to do. All right? They did not like the idea that these young Jewish guys had a place of position. You know, remember we are talking about they're kind of the mayor level of the provinces? These guys are not, they're not hip on that, all right? And so they come before the king, and so verse 8 through 12, we're calling it the snitch. These guys rat them out. Hey, they're not bowing down. We need to do something about it, Uh, king. And we see that in verse 12. These guys get busted, all right? The king says, Come show up and tell me why in the world you're not bowing down. And so verse 13 through 18, we're calling that the refusal. All right, so these three young Jewish men stand before the king and uh, very humbly and yet eloquently refuse the king. He gives them one more chance. Bow down and worship the statue as you were instructed, and these guys uh, refuse. Uh, We see that. Verse uh, sixteen through eighteen, uh, they stand their ground. And if you would, as you're looking at verse uh, seventeen, I want you to underline. Uh, sorry, verse, beginning of verse eighteen. Would you just underline the phrase "but if not"? And maybe in your scripture it says uh, uh, "if not" or "but if not." Um, but would you just find that phrase? And then we're gonna we're gonna hop back to that phrase. We're gonna spend about seven or eight minutes on that phrase this morning. So that's that's where this passage turns. Um, So in verse 18, if you just would underline that, uh, we're going to come back to that. But that section right there um, is called the refusal. And then we see in verse 19 through 23, we're calling this the punishment. So these guys refused. The king punishes them. And uh, we know the story. So we know that the king has the furnace heated up, not just Not just normal, heat, all right? He's cranking this thing seven times hotter than it ever has been because he is furious with these guys. And so uh, 19 through 23 uh, is the punishment. And then the key verse here, verse 21, these guys are thrown into the fire. It is so hot, it kills the guards who are throwing them into the fire, right? Uh, And so the punishment piece, we got two more to go. Verse 24 through 27, we're calling it the rescue. And so the king, uh, he has, a, a, I, I can just imagine that he's got some kind of vantage point. There's some kind of window, or he's got some kind of elevation where he's able to see into the furnace, and of course, he sees really two remarkable things. One, these three dudes are just walking around, and it says their clothes are not burning up, their hair is not singed. They literally are just, I don't know if they're dancing, uh, I don't know if they're uh, Goofing off at this point. I don't know if they're worshiping. It they doesn't say, but these guys are walking around. We know that much. They're moving around untouched, unburned. That's, that's the first miraculous piece. The second thing is he sees four guys, right? And uh, because you and I, most of us, some, uh, at least a lot of us, heard this story as a kid, I think that's lost on us, just the beauty of, this, of, the, of, the, of the story here, that this king would peer in and expect to see three burnt-up guys, but instead see four that are walking around. That's a beautiful mystery of the scriptures, and I don't want that to be lost on us just because we've heard this story a lot, all right? So the rescue piece is verse 24 through 27. Let me just pause here and say, um, I tried to read up on this for us because the question that um, several of us had, by the way, uh, this week got to invite some of our uh, guys just to say, hey, what questions do you have on this passage? Like, as I'm reading and studying this, what are you seeing? One of the questions one of the guys sent me was, who's the fourth Right? I mean, obviously, a part of God, is it an angel? Is it God himself? Is it some kind of uh, you know, pre-incarnate version of Jesus? Like, who's in, the, who's in the fire, right? And so, a few interesting things, and, and I don't have 100% clarity, but I hope this helps us. Um, one, uh, the, King, the King James Bible actually says, um, uh, the Son of God. Right, so I don't know if any of you have a King James with you this morning. Maybe you do, but it it should say "son of God." Most common translations say "son of the gods" or "son of uh, gods." How many of your translations say that? "Son of the gods" or "son of gods," and so that kind of creates some confusion. So, like, is it what? What's the king trying to say uh, here? Later on, he references uh, the angel of the Lord. Well, when he says son of God or son of the gods, he's, that, that Greek word is Elohim. And so Elohim is the God of Israel, uh, the one true God. That Elohim is used, uh, that's the most common use of God in the Old Testament. And so he's not just saying generally, hey, there's some kind of spiritual being in this fire with these, these guys. He's saying that is, that is Elohim. That's the son of Elohim. That's a part of the one true God. That's not just some mystical thing that's happening here. He recognizes uh, God as he peer, uh, peers into the furnace. Um, and so uh, there are other places in the Old Testament where God, uh, he, he shows up visibly. And he speaks audibly. And so we're going to just read this passage and uh, at least generally together say, God himself is in the fire with them. Uh, how these translations break it down, we're not positive, but, but God is revealed to the king Amongst these guys in their furnace, in their place of uh, suffering, okay. That's the rescue. Uh, the last, the last uh, uh, subheading here is the praise, and that's verse twenty-eight through thirty. And so, what I mean by that is. Uh, It's the praise coming from the lips of the king, right? You don't peer into a fire expecting to see three people. You see four, and you don't have some kind of response. And maybe you've had an encounter like that in your own life. You don't see a miracle that you just go, man, thats I don't even know how to explain that. That's a God thing. Have you seen something like that? I, I have seen something like that where I just go, I can't explain that there's no words that doesn't make sense except that that's a that is a god event that I just witnessed and so I will m- let my lips Respond to you in praise. That's what happens with the king, verse 28 through 30. And we see that in verse 29. He takes it one step further. This king, by the way, he's all over the place, right? So he begins the chapter. He erects this massive statue. He says, everybody bows down. He has this encounter with God, and then he just reverses course. Okay, wait a second. Everybody is going to proclaim the name of Elohim, and they shall give praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then this king is so dramatic. He's like, and if you don't, I'll just tear your limbs off. I mean, that's all, you're like, all right, you you just take it easy, all right? Just tone it down. But in verse 20, uh, in verse 29, we we see that new decree, right? So he's encountered uh, God, and he now has a new decree. So what is this passage that most of us have heard for many years? What does this have to do with us? And it clearly is a, um, it's a passage of courage. I think none of us would argue that, right? You you, you see that. It's a passage of great uh, determination, Um, it's a passage of uh, faith, right? These guys have faith in their God, but I want us to go back and I want us to read out loud uh, just to make sure you're awake with me this morning. I want us to read out loud uh, verse 17 and 18. Nate, put that up for me. And so let's read this together and then I want us to spend just a few minutes on one of these key phrases. All right, so read with me. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so if, uh, earlier, you just underlined that phrase, but if not, I want us to spend a few minutes here. These guys had a faith in God that was strong. I mean, they are standing before the most powerful man on the planet. Babylon was the ultimate society. The king was the head of that empire. And they are standing before him, these three young Jewish uh, kids, really. Maybe late teens, early, early 20s. I'm not sure we know for sure, but they're young. And they are standing before the king. And they are quietly yet boldly uh, refusing and saying we worship Elohim. We believe there is one God and with all due respect king we're not bowing down to this image. So this is a simple passage when we begin to just say hey this is a passage of of boldness of a quiet and yet Uh, strong faith, but one of the phrases that just really jumped off the page to me this week and had me re-examine, like, what kind of faith do I have in God is that phrase, but if not, but if not, because I believe God can heal my friend who had uh, his cancer checkup this week, and honestly, he's, you know, his days are numbered. He's sick, I believe he can heal. I believe he wants to heal, but God doesn't always heal people with cancer, right? And I just have to say to my friend, and I just pray that he and I somehow can say to each other, well, but if not, we will. We're just gonna we we follow you. We trust you. We believe that on the other side of this life is a, is a is a a beautiful eternity with the Savior. And these three guys, I think what's lost on us, because we kind of just get fired up. Hey, man, they're bold. Their faith was strong. And they stood before the king in denial. And I want to be that kind of, but I think really the phrase that just jumps out is they just go, but even if he doesn't save us, I know he can, I think he wants to, but even if he doesn't save us, I'm following him. And I'm believing that if they throw me into that furnace, that he's going to be next to me. And sure enough, they get put in the furnace. And I hope that there are furnaces that you and I go through where God rescues us, and we come out unsinged, and we come out with our clothes, and we are saying, did you see God with us? But there may be some furnaces where you and I get burnt a little. And I think what these guys are saying is, either way, God is he, hes with me in the, in the furnace, right? He's with me in the suffering. And when you read the scriptures, when you when you start to go, you know Genesis to Revelation, there are dozens of instances where fire and furnaces come up. This comes up all the time, right? And most often it represents suffering. And uh, I I don't know how long you've lived on this earth, but uh, you and I are going to have some stuff that it's going to be painful. You and I are going to go through some stuff. You and I are going to have some drama. You and I are going to have some broken relationships. You and I are going to have broken family stuff. You and I are going to see death up close. And it's just a reality. It's not a declaration of the goodness or, or the judgment of God. It is a part of us. It's a broken world that we live in. And so I think for you and I, as we face that, I, I know this isn't the most like pick-me-up Father's Day sermon, all right? All right. But as you and I, as you and I walk into some of the furnaces of life together, I think rather than saying, I know he's going to rescue me, I believe he is, but even more than that, even if not, he's with me. And also in the scriptures, fire is refining. So the gold that built that image was refined in the fire, right? And so scripture uses this a lot. First Peter uses this language. So uh, we are to be like gold in a fire, fire being our, uh, our suffering. And, and God, may you somehow purify and refine us in the midst of chaos. Because you're with us, we're somehow refined by this fire, this suffering. And uh, you know, as I am thinking through this passage this week, I'm just reminded that you and I will, uh, our, our, our suffering, it, it will refine our character, like fire to gold. Uh, our suffering is linked to our character. I don't know if you, like, read a lot about the Navy SEALs. I love the Navy SEALs. I love, like, CIA books. I love that stuff. And if they're looking for, like, a, you know, a 39-year-old uh, musician to join the ranks, man, I'm, I'm their guy for sure. And so um, I'm not strong enough. I don't have the, uh, I don't have the will uh, to be in the CIA or to, to be a Navy SEAL. But when you read these books, uh, I mean, how do they train, right? You guys have read some of the Navy SEAL training? They, they throw them into the ocean for hours at a time and it's freezing cold and they go through these intense periods of suffering because they're, they're refined in that. It is the only way to build the kind of character strength uh, and boldness that it's going to take to walk through some of these furnaces, right? And so when I look at this passage, I see these three brothers, brothers in Christ, I see these three brothers in Christ and they're standing before the king and they're saying, even if he doesn't save us, we're We're walking with the Lord. And so here's my question for you as we close. Um, Just pretty simply, do you and I know God for him? Do we know God for himself? In other words, do we know God to, to actually be in communion with him and to say, God, no matter what we're walking through, I'm with you and you are with me and that's not, no one can take that from me. Do we know God for himself or do we know God for the things that he's going to grant us and the things that he's going to give us. And if, you, if your view on faith, if your view on uh, following Jesus is somehow God is going to bless you with endless amounts of resource and, uh, and, uh, and wealth, and that following Jesus is somehow about what you're going to obtain, I promise you that will, that will crash and burn. It's why the idea that if our theology is somehow uh, based and tied to our wealth, that's going to run out. That just, that's, that's, not, a, uh, that's, not, that's not a never-ending uh, a promise. And when you read the scriptures, I'm sorry, it's just, it's just not the case. What is promised to us is that God is with you. God is with you in the furnaces of life. And some of you came this morning and you went, man, I'm, uh, honestly, I don't care if it's Father's Day. I'm like in the middle of some stuff. I'm in the middle of some fires that just, it really, really stinks. Some of you have been looking for jobs for over a year. Some of my closest buddies in this church. And it just stinks. And you're like, what is going on? struggling with something like this for so long where are you God my only promise to you I don't know when he's going to fix that I don't know when he's going to uh to to come through for you but I believe he does I believe he wants to and I believe he will is with you in that furnace some of you are staring death in the face and all I can say to you is he's with you in the furnace My hope for you this morning is that if you're like I hear this, it's a great message. Hopefully, you say that. All right. Hey, great message. But honestly, I don't. I don't. I don't know Jesus like that. I don't have that kind of faith and trust. Uh, sounds really good. Awesome story from the Old Testament. I don't have it. I want you to have it. I want you to have it. I want you just to have some boldness this morning. Just go, man. I want to follow Jesus like that. Life's not going to be perfect. There's going to be some awesome times. Hopefully today over great Mexican food is one of those awesome times, all right? Um, There's going to be some awesome times. There's going to be some some low times. I want to follow Jesus this morning. Uh, If you would, bow your heads with me. And uh, I would just ask you... uh, We don't always do this, but I'm going to do it this morning. So I would just ask you, uh, do you know him? And just with your eyes closed, the way that this chapter ends, would you just allow this to soak into your soul this morning? The way this chapter ends is that the king says, no one can save like this God. This pagan king who built this crazy statue and had all these crazy ideas had an encounter with the one true God and said, Nobody can save like this. No God can do what this God just did. I want to echo that. And so I just want to invite you, if you just go, man, I, I believe that. I want to know that, God. With nobody looking around, I'm not even going to be uh, taking a tally or, or writing your name down real quick. But if you just would raise your hand, I, mean, I want to know God like that. I, I want that kind of faith. If you just raise your hand. I, yeah, thank you. Just, I want to know God like that. I believe that's possible today, and I want to know God like that. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray for us, Then our prayer team is going to be here at the front, and I would invite you, if you need prayer for anything, I and mean, it can be small, it can be massive, um, anywhere in between, I'd invite you to come to say, hey, would you pray for me? These people aren't perfect, but they are doing their best to follow Jesus, and they want to just rest their hand on your shoulder and pray for you. So God, we, uh, we see you in the furnace with us. Lord, we celebrate the the fact that you have given us an unbelievable picture of what it means to walk through trials in life and to know that we are not alone. And God, would you stamp that on our hearts this morning? That you want us to know you for you, not just for what we might get out of this religion thing. So to truly know you, to truly follow Jesus this morning, I just pray if there's anybody in here that would be willing just to come forward and say, man, I want that in my life. God, give him courage to do so as we sing and as we pray together. Uh, Lord, all this, we do it in the name of Jesus. Our songs, our prayers, our confessions, we're a broken people, but you are a perfect savior. And that's how we come to you this morning. May that be our posture as we worship together. In the name of Jesus we